welcome to Mind Money Balance, the no guilt, no shame podcast to help you get your mind and money in balance. I'm your host, Lindsay. I'm a financial therapist and coach, woman of color, and popcorn connoisseur. I am so glad you're here. Let's go. you are listening to this episode in real time, it is tax season, which means if you are a private practice owner, you might have found yourself Googling things like, how do I file my taxes? What counts as a tax write-off? And maybe wondering if you should reach out and finally hire an accountant. So today's guest is Andrew Reason. He is the co-founder of Herd, which is an accounting and bookkeeping platform designed specifically for private practice therapists. Prior to Herd, Andrew built out a tax software startup for small businesses, worked as a financial accountant for PricewaterhouseCoopers, and spent time at a wealth management firm. So this episode is a little bit longer because I asked you what tax and bookkeeping and accounting questions you had, and I wanted to make sure we got through all of them. So you might want to grab a pen and paper and take some notes, or if you don't want to do that, don't worry, I got you. All of the questions we covered are linked in the show notes, so you can also head over there if you want to maybe listen and read at the same time. Quick disclaimer, because we are talking about money and taxes, this podcast is to be used for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, business, or tax advice. Each person should consult their attorney, business advisor, or tax advisor with respect to the matters discussed, referenced in this podcast episode. All right, now that we got that out of the way, let's get into my chat with Andrew. Andrew, welcome to the Mind Money Balance podcast. I'm so excited to have you here to talk everybody's favorite topic, taxes. <laughs> well, very excited to be here, Lindsay. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So give us a quick rundown of just a little bit about you and a little bit about the company that you co-founded. Yeah. So a little bit about me. So I am an accountant by trade, obviously. I started my career working for a wealth manager. We helped individual medical practices plan for retirement. So a lot of physicians, so not dissimilar to the clinicians that we're now working with, worked at PricewaterhouseCoopers for a long time as a financial accountant, and then helped Pricewaterhouse build a software incubator and built a tax software program for small to medium-sized businesses. And now we are building a, a software company and services company for therapists to help them better understand their finances and get a better handle on things. Okay. So give us just like a quick once over of why accounting, bookkeeping, taxes for therapists? This seems like mm -hmm. a pretty niche mm -hmm. market and kind of a pivot from where you were in wealth management. So why us? <laughs> Victoria and I have spent a long time working with clinicians. Heard This is uh, probably the second or third iteration of Herd at this point. But Victoria and I both are deeply passionate about the mental health field. I personally have dealt with anxiety and depression and panic since I was 12 years old. I can mm -hmm. remember those uh, individual moments very clearly. But one of the things that we've seen in working with clinicians is that there's this huge gap on the accounting, financial bookkeeping side of private practice where mm -hmm. 
you're either having to figure everything out all by yourself and DIY it in spreadsheets or figure out QuickBooks, which, you know, the uptick to actually learn and, and get up and running with that takes a lot of time. And for somebody that is time as a service, it's very challenging. And so, you know, really on the other side, it's, you know, you could work with a local or regional CPA, but, you know, they're going to be spending time with the the small to medium sized businesses that are are driving more revenue for them. And, you know, paying 300 to $400 a month for bookkeeping just doesn't make sense for a small private practice. So we saw an opportunity to, you know, support clinicians who have done a lot for us. My wife is also a clinician, but also to give them the power of financial transparency and understanding of financial health that you might not have otherwise been able to, to receive. So... Yeah, I love it. So we were connected by Marie Fang, who mm-hmm. is a friend of mine. I met her through YouTube years ago. She's also a private practice clinician and is an amazing person to help folks kind of with the basics of getting started in private practice. And she sent me an email and she's like, Hey, you really need to meet this person, check out what they're doing and gave a great connection. And it was perfect timing because I was also shopping around for a new accountant because of exactly what you talked about. I was calling a bunch of folks. Everybody was charging exactly in that range, anywhere from (laughs) 300 to $400 a month. And I felt like that might've been an appropriate number if I was running a group practice, but as a solo provider, I I just couldn't justify it. And I was getting frustrated with traditional accounting firms who didn't really get what I did, or I would get slapped with a fee anytime I had a question. And so I kind of felt like I was getting penalized. So full transparency, I do use herd, but I also stand them because they are fantastic, <laughs> super transparent and communicative. So I just want to throw that out there that I wanted to have Andrew on because I'm on both sides of things. I've, I've tried to kind of do my own bookkeeping. Then I hired somebody else. I shopped around for an accountant. I felt like people didn't get it. So it was really great to connect with her and feel like I found an accounting firm who really got my specific needs. So I put a call out to my Instagram followers and said, Hey, I'm bringing on an accountant. What do you guys want to know about taxes and bookkeeping? And wow, did people have questions? So these questions come directly from you. If you are a follower on Instagram of me at Mind Money Balance, or if you are on my email list, I also sent out the call through email, but the the bulk of the responses came through Instagram. So let's start at the top. I'm going to try and kind of like categorize some of these questions together since we had some similar questions. But the first one kind of starting right away is what really are the basics of taxes and bookkeeping as a therapist in private practice? What are the things that we really need to know? Yeah, the fundamentals of bookkeeping and and taxes for a therapist. So I just got off a call with a provider prior, prior to jumping on this call and she was new into private practice. She had a, you know, a part-time private practice on the side. And I was like, look, you're not the right fit for us. You don't need to pay $900 a year to work with us to get your bookkeeping taxes done. So this is probably the answer that providers are looking for. Really, that first piece is have your accounts connected to a software system. DIYing in the spreadsheets is okay, and it's a good starting point. And what I always tell providers is that this will give you the foundational understanding for how to set up your accounts within an accounting software platform. But the reality is, is that you're going to miss things if you don't have that information connected to a, a system that you can actually track and manage that. And you're not going to have that real-time transparency that you're looking for. And so nuts and bolts bookkeeping is really 
hey, I have information from my business bank account, business checking account, business credit card coming into one single place. And that is the income and that is the expenses. And being able to see the income and the expenses together is incredibly helpful because as a therapist, you're also a small business owner. So having that transparency and knowing where you're at from a business perspective is very helpful. And so if you're DIYing it yourself, you know, use something like Wave Accounting. It's a free accounting software platform, or you could use something like QuickBooks Self-Employed, shameless plug for Herd. If you're looking for somebody to, to save time and, and do it for you, we're absolutely happy to help with that. But the key to bookkeeping is reconciling your income and expenses on a monthly basis. So as a therapist, you are probably receiving income through Stripe, through simple practice. Maybe you're using Ivy Pay. Hopefully you're not using Venmo, but if you are, make sure that you're referencing against Venmo, PayPal, whatever other source it might be that it's coming from. On a monthly basis, make sure that the money that's coming into that accounting software platform is then matching what you see in your business bank statements, but also doing a second match to your simple practice. So the client session fees that you're earning there back to the actual bank statement and the accounting software as well. You just want to make sure that there's not any missed transactions. It's something that we have seen in the past. So you just want to make sure that you're on top of that. On the expenses side, it's the same thing. It's you're probably paying for psychology today, simple practice or therapy notes, maybe CPA to the trust for your liability insurance, you're paying office rent. All of these things are important things to keep track of, especially when it comes to filing taxes at year end. You don't want to be scrambling to say like, oh gosh, I think like back in January, like I bought a desk on Amazon for $500. And in April, I bought a new computer. Like where are those receipts? How can I write those off? Having it all in one place, one is going to be really helpful as a business owner, but two is going to make tax time a lot easier for you. And so this will be my natural pivot into tax time. As a, <laughs> so, as a sole proprietor, big thing for you is going to be quarterly estimates that you're paying into. And then also the schedule C that you're going to file with your individual income tax return at year end. So just high level, keeping it really simple. Those quarterly taxes work with a tax accountant to get that figured out, that amount that you should be paying. I'm not going to comment on a specific amount that you should be setting aside, but just make sure that you're, you know, really taking into account the amount that you're earning and also, you know, federal and state, because a lot of states have taxes that you're going to have to be paying into them as well. And a lot of providers aren't often thinking about that. When it comes to filing your annual tax return, again, always recommend working with an accountant because it's a very specific skill set in the same in this along the same vein as you know being a clinician you've gone to school for years to be trained in that in that specific area tax accountants have a very niche specific skill set and an understanding of the IRS and state level codification to understand how to get you all of those tax write-offs and deductions. But what is going to make an accountant or you very successful at year end is keeping track of all of those receipts, making sure that you're reconciling the 1099s that you're getting and the wages that you're earning back to you know what you're seeing in the software platform that you've chosen to use at year end, just so you can make sure that the numbers are right and everything that you could potentially write off is in that same place. Okay. Wow. So I'm going to try and do a little summary because <laughs> there, there's a lot there, even at this yeah. high level first glance of what do I need to know about bookkeeping and taxes? I heard kind of three main takeaways from that first response. 
One is make sure to keep your business and your personal finances separate. No commingling of bank accounts or credit cards. If you're spending on your business or your personal expenses, keep them separate. And along with separation is consistent tracking. And is it fair to say that when you say reconciling, you're just meaning double checking, double checking how much money went out, double checking that the things that you spent money on are correct and are correct in whatever software system that you're using? Yes. Reconciling is a a buzzword that accountants use to sound smarter than they actually are. But yes, (laughs) matching the expenses or income from bank statements to the the software. Okay. Yeah. I mean, us therapists fall into using therapist jargon too. So if I hear some accountant jargon, I may just ask for clarification. Then I also heard, make sure you're paying your taxes quarterly. And that includes federal and state taxes. And then getting some help for filing those annual tax returns. So those are the basics. Keep things separate, have a place to track things, double check things, and make sure you are paying your taxes, which leads into the most frequently asked question, which was a slew of questions about what can I write off? Everything from can I write off books I buy for my therapy practice? Can I write off my car? What about childcare? Continuing education. So there's a ton of specific questions, but really let's just zoom out and go, what is a tax write-off or a tax deduction? That would be a great starting point. Yeah. There's a, a laundry list and I'm happy to share that, that checklist that Lindsay can then share, but I know she had a, a great blog post for that as well. So high level, what a business write-off is an expense that is used in the ordinary course of business that has business nature to it. So if I am paying for continuing professional education expenses, that is a business expense associated with the running of my practice that is helping me remain licensed in, in practice so I can continue to deliver care. A write-off is really something that is a deduction or a business expense that has been used throughout the year that you can then use to minimize the amount of taxable income that exists on your tax return at year end. Cool. So is a tax write-off, is it free money? Because I think a lot of people think of a tax (laughs) write-off of, cool, I spent $300 on continuing ed. I write that off. I essentially didn't have to pay for continuing ed. Is that what a write-off is? No, no. So I I had this exact conversation with somebody yesterday, a provider yesterday, and she was like, should I just keep writing off as many expenses as I possibly can? And I said, yes, while write-offs are great. And yes, we want to maximize the amount of write-offs that we have at year end. Write-offs also mean that you're spending money in your practice and reducing the amount of income that you're actually bringing into your practice. So write-offs are a wonderful thing insofar as these are things that are absolutely necessary for my practice that are going to support me in my practice. But should I spend a bunch of money to reduce my taxable income to zero for the sake of doing that? Probably not. Okay. So to get even more granular, I'm a a learner. I need a lot of examples. So I'm going to ask Mm -hmm. you for another Mm -hmm. one. So let's say I earn $50,000 and I spend $25,000 on things that are considered write-offs. 
what does that mean in terms of how my taxes look? Again, this is high level. We're not getting into like the nitty gritty. I know it's hard to think this. So you're like, I, we're on Zoom right now. <laughs> Obviously, you are all listening on a podcast and Andrew's like, oh man, this is not a fair question. But I think it's important just to kind of get a sense of what does it mean if I bring in $50,000 and I spend $25,000 on things that are tax write-offs? Does it mean that that $25,000 was just free money or no? I would not use the terms free money given okay. that it is money that you spent, but I would say to break it down a little bit further. So when you look at a schedule C or your business tax return or the tax return associated with your practice, you have gross receipts. And so in the example that you just provided, so this is the total amount of money that you made. So with simple practice, you're going to get a report from them at year end that shows you the total amount of wages. So let's say simple practice sent you that and it said $50,000, right? right? And so that would be the total amount that you have earned. Also in that same form from simple practice, you're going to see the credit card processing fees. You're going to see the practice management software, how much you paid them for that, right? And so that is going to be the write-offs and that's going to be below that gross amount that you've total actually earned. And so for purposes of kind of simplifying things a little bit more, you look at that gross amount and remove all of those potential write-offs or business expenses. Again, not free money. It's something that you're paying for because you're paying for the software, paying for the credit card processing fees, but that amount that you're getting to less all of those write-offs and deductions, that's going to be the amount that the IRS and the state actually looks at from a taxable income perspective. So what it does is really reduces the amount of taxable income that is presented to the IRS, which then helps you think through, okay, this is what my income tax bracket is going to be when it comes to, to year end and actually filing taxes. All right. So in this example, what happens is instead of paying taxes on $50,000, you're paying taxes on $25,000. Yeah. Cool. Yes, that's exactly right. Okay. Yay. We did it. All right. That's super helpful. And I will link to that blog post. Andrew's team did an amazing list of 15 different tax deductions or write-offs for therapists you might not have known about, or you might have known about, but had questions about. So you can go check it out there. And as always, if you're uncertain about something being a write-off, having somebody available in your corner to ask these questions to is huge. So another question that came up was, you know, we talked about what metrics need to be tracked and when you should track them. I got a few questions about how long should this take? Like each month, how much time should a therapist be spending on bookkeeping and related kind of tax-ish activities? This morning, I had a conversation about that as a provider that we worked with was trying to make a decision as to, to what makes the most sense. So I would say the first framing that I'm going to use, and I'm sure Lindsay and other capacities use this framing as well in relation to outsourcing work, look at the amount that you could potentially earn from a session with a client and use that as the basis for frame or framework for determining whether the amount of time that I'm spending doing bookkeeping or taxes on a monthly basis makes sense or whether or not I should outsource that, right? So the example from this morning that the woman that I was referencing earlier, she was only spending 30 minutes a month and her session fee was $150 per month. And so for her, that's a $75 
expense if you're looking at it from a time perspective. And to use her, that would have been 99 for the month. So for her, it didn't make sense. But you know, on the other side, if you're a you know a small group practice owner or you have a full caseload in a thriving private practice, solo private practice, if you're spending two to three hours a month managing your bookkeeping or preparing to file your quarterly estimates or preparing for tax season, you have to start thinking about how that actually adds up. And that, you know, $75 quickly becomes $300 a month or $450 a month that you could have been earning in your practice. And so I would say that's the framing for how I'd think about it. As far as, you know, what it typically takes on a, a monthly basis, I would say it's really contingent on the, the size of the practice. If you're a small group practice, it's going to take a lot more. You have employees, you have payroll. There's a lot of other things to take into account. But if you're a small practice owner and you're looking to DIY it, I would say going in and categorizing your expenses, maybe you have 30 to 50 expenses, you know, you're probably spending 15 to 30 minutes doing that, probably a little bit of extra time just thinking through what the right category is. And then, you know, another 20 to 30 minutes actually reconciling that against the the various statements, whether it's, you know, your simple practice or your bank statements, et cetera. So I would say, you know, spending an hour every month thinking about it and then using that information to kind of budget and plan and look at the month ahead is really, really the right amount of time that you should be spending, especially because you are a small business owner. That was a very therapeutic answer in that what you were saying was it depends and you also provided some examples. So it may take most people about an hour a month to reconcile their expenses. And another consideration if you're thinking about hiring somebody to help out is is it taking you more time than you could charge in an hourly rate, right? So are you spending your time and energy on something that somebody else could be doing to free up your time to either see more clients or just to free up your time in general. Yeah. Okay. Super, super helpful. So the other thing that has come up a lot is that with the pandemic, there are a lot of therapists who live in one state and because of the pandemic, they moved back to their home state. It could be to help out with family. It could be because the cost of living is lower. There could be a variety of reasons that a therapist might leave the state in which they're practicing in. So I'll I'll just make up an example. Let's say a person is licensed in California. They had lived in California, then the pandemic hit, and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm going back home to Idaho. The cost of living is so much lower. I can see all my California clients ethically, legally from a distance, where the heck am I supposed to file my taxes in Idaho or California? So if I were just to zoom out, the question would be, I practice in one state, but I live in another. What happens with my taxes? I'm going to give you the most tax accountant answer here ever. That's going to be really annoying, but state nexus, which in short, another just accounting buzzword, where a tax event is taking place or where you might owe taxes is really what nexus means. It's a very complicated thing that is really nuanced on the state level. So I would work with an accountant when it comes to actually thinking through the implications of this, whether you're living in Hawaii and seeing clients in California. I think there's a lot of legalities that go into that business registrations, specific tax filings, you know, maybe you're living in one state and you have to still file a zero return there, even though you're not actually earning any income in that state. So there's a lot of legalities behind that. And I think 
Another thing to be considered there is the, the behavioral health board. And I know a lot of these laws are currently changing. So definitely take into consideration the guidance from the behavioral health board first and foremost, and then also really talk to an accountant or a lawyer about those state specific laws as well. So I know not the most fun answer, but I wouldn't want to provide any misleading information here regarding uh, taxes. It's okay. Therapists are pretty good at tolerating discomfort. <laughs> so, so we can cope with an answer that requires a little bit more digging. This leads into another question about just income and money. And I guess, you know, that the common thread throughout a lot of these questions is, of course, as therapists, we are practicing good clinical care. And as you mentioned at the top mm-hmm. of our conversation, we're also small business owners, right? We're not folks who are doing all of this as good volunteer work, right? So we need to be bringing in an income. So I got a lot of questions about like, how much should I pay myself? What's a reasonable salary? And I think some of these questions were coming from people Googling around like the difference between a sole proprietor and an S corp and a C corp. So we'll start first with like, what is a reasonable salary? How much should we be paying ourselves? And then we'll maybe shift into some of those, that that next question about S-Corp, C-Corp, all that good stuff. Yeah. So I would say high level, I'll kind of walk through like a typical exercise that we might go through when helping a provider determine how much to pay themselves. And then reasonable salary is a, a separate piece associated with uh, the S-Corporation specifically. So when thinking about how much you should pay yourself, because we often get on the phone with providers and they're like, oh, I have all of this money in my bank account. I, I don't want to pay myself. I don't want to screw anything up. And it's okay. You're not going to screw anything up, but also awesome that you have a separate business bank account. So shout out to them. So really, when you're thinking through the flow of money in your practice, you have money that comes into your practice, right? So you have the money that's coming in on a monthly basis. And let's say on a monthly basis, you average $5,000 of monthly income. So you're making $60,000 a year. And below that, similar to when we're thinking about taxable income, you have, let's say, $1,000 of expenses that you're paying for, and that's your practice management software, et cetera, everything else that you're paying for on a monthly basis. So after that, you're left with, what is that, $4,000. The next thing that you'd really want to think about is setting aside money for tax savings, right? Again, work with a tax accountant here, but for the purpose of this conversation, let's say for even numbers for my mental math as well, let's say you are setting aside 25% for your your federal and state taxes. And so automatically you're setting up a a business savings account to set aside that $1,000. And then so after that, you have $3,000 left in your practice. What you want to do do with that money, that's going to be up to you, but that's going to be the amount of money that you can actually take home from your practice. And so, you know, a lot of providers, they'll want to set up a SEP IRA. So, you know, an individual retirement account, or they want to set up a, a traditional retirement account and start putting aside money for savings. Some people just want to chip away and they have a savings goal because they want to to buy a home or maybe they're thinking about going back to school at a certain point. And so after that, really that allocation of money or where that money goes is going to be up to you. But as long as you're making sure that you can cover your expenses and you're setting aside money for taxes after that, especially as a sole proprietor, that money that's left for you, that's for you to determine what you should do with and really think through 
what are the expenses that I have to cover at my house, whether it's rent or mortgage, you know, what does it cost for groceries? So really think through just a personal budgeting exercise and what are those expenses that I have to cover? And if there's money left over after that, fantastic. I can, you know, go out once the pandemic's over, go out with my friends and do something or go to a show. But that would be my kind of two cents there on kind of the flow of money and how it looks and how it works. And a lot of common cases of what providers will will want to think about there. As far as reasonable salary goes, and so reasonable salary is a very specific comment in relation to the the S corporation. And so clarity here on the S corporation, the S corporation is actually not an entity type. And so I think that's a common point of confusion. So I'm going to pause you because yeah, (laughs) first, thank you for that answer on salaries. I just want to zoom out for a second because we're getting Mm -hmm. into some more jargon S-Corp, C-Corp, sole proprietor stuff, entity. Give us just like, when you say entity, what does that mean? Yes. Thank you for calling me on that. Please pull me out of, pull me out of the weeds. (laughs) Help me, Lindsay. Okay, cool. So an entity is really just what is the structure of your business or your practice? Or what are you presenting yourself as a business to the IRS or the state entity, right? So. Okay, cool. Thank you. Is that helpful? Yeah, super helpful. So it's essentially, what are you calling yourself? And there are different labels and these different labels require different filing statuses and paperwork. And, you know, you can share a little bit more about that. But when people say things like, oh, I'm an LLC sole proprietor entity, like I don't, I mean, I can guess (laughs) what those words are. So I appreciate you giving us just the description of what an entity is. It's what I'm calling myself as a business and how I'm filing my taxes as a business. Mm -hmm. Okay, Mm -hmm. cool. So, okay. Continue on with reasonable salary and (laughs) S-Corp. Yes. So, yeah. So I've registered my business. So let's think about S-Corporation in general, because this is such a hot ticket item. We oftentimes have providers coming to us and saying like, oh, in my listserv or the association that I'm a part of, everybody says I should become an S-Corporation at X, Y, or Z, or when this specific condition is met or this or that. And I would say it's it's very situationally specific. And it's also <laughs> in another annoying tax accounting answer. It's very state specific as well as to the benefits that you receive from an S corporation. So really the reasonable salary associated with an S corporation or actually taking a step back and talking about an S corporation in general. So the reason that a provider would make the determination to become an S corporation is at the point in time where the benefits of being a sole proprietor have kind of come to an end, meaning that the payroll expenses that you're paying as a self-employed individual have superseded the benefits of being a an S corporation where you're able to take actual distributions from your business as a business owner and set yourself up as an employee of the business, as a W-2 employee of the business. And so what that looks like is let's say, you know, I'm Lindsay and I was a, you know, I'm an LLC and I am in, you know, X state, right? And I've made the determination to become an S corporation. So at the point that you've made the determination to become an S corporation, you have to create what is considered a reasonable salary. And so this is a salary that you're going to 
look at a number of different parameters. A lot of it's qualitative, some of it quantitative, but some of the things that you're going to look at are what is my licensure? What state am I living in? What are the average salaries for employees or providers that look like me who are running private practices in the state? What are the salaries for people who are working at agencies and groups that look like me? And so you're basically creating this amount or dollar value that you're going to then pay yourself on a biweekly or a monthly or an annual basis, however you have it set up, that you would then be able to defend to the taxing agencies as well. If they were to come to you and say, hey, no, this doesn't actually look right. We would say, well, based on X, Y, and Z parameters, and again, work with a tax accountant here or a lawyer to determine what that salary might be. There really is no specific number that's like, hey, you should put your salary as this. You know, some of the time we've seen providers doing 80% salary and and 20% distributions from their business. Some providers are taking a more aggressive approach and doing 50% salary and 50% distributions from their business as an owner of a business. So really it's, it's a risk tolerance question. It's the tax accountant that you're working with or the lawyer that you've, you've had this conversation with. So really work with a professional here to determine that and make sure that you've taken in a lot of those qualitative and more quantitative factors into to determining that salary. So I know that was a big mouthful. So happy to, to reframe or <laughs> rehash yeah. any of that. Yeah. So, so what I have typically seen and heard in the therapy space is most people start out as an LLC because that one's pretty easy to figure out through the, the magic of Google in terms of what is it? How do I become one? What are the things that I need? How can I file taxes as such private practice therapists and therapists in general? We are scrappy. We are DIYers by nature. We like to do it ourselves. Oftentimes, And so most of us start out as LLCs. Then we start hearing what you're talking about is either through Facebook groups or Twitter or through different licensing boards, these S-Corp, you know, the word S-Corp starts (laughs) popping up everywhere of like, you'll save money if you become an S-Corp, you'll save money if you become an S-Corp, right? And so then people go, what is an S-Corp? And one of the things that I have kind of thought about over the years is if you are wondering if you're an S-Corp or an LLC, you're probably not an S-Corp because becoming an S-Corp requires a lot of paperwork and you have to kind of jump through more hoops than you have to as an LLC. That's just like a general, totally blanket statement. But I would say in general, if you don't know if you're an S-Corp or not, you're probably not because you probably have not filed the correct paperwork in order to become one. Fair to say with a big asterisk. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So with the, with the, the accountant asterisk and the legal asterisk, yes, that's exactly right. So like thinking through the the types of entities is really important. And again, this is a very state specific question as well. Cause like you're saying LLC, but like in California providers can't actually set up an LLC. They have to set up a professional corporation prior to oh, becoming an escort. Oh, so look at that. Real, yeah. On a state by state basis, it's different. So okay. talk with someone who has that knowledge at the state level. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's that's also helpful to know how much it varies state by state, which mm-hmm. again, as therapists, as clinicians, we know the rules change state by state. Yeah. So why wouldn't they change state by state for taxes? You've mentioned a couple of things throughout our conversation that I think myself and our listeners could use some clarity on just the differentiation between a couple of things. One is what is the big difference between a bookkeeper and an accountant? Because I've heard you use both of those terms. Yes. 
Cool. So I will break down the world of accounting as it stands. A bookkeeper is somebody that quite literally just manages your books, right? So they do the reconciling. Yes, they do (laughs) the reconciling. (laughs) Correct. So they're going to be looking at your books on a monthly basis, the income, the expenses, and matching that to bank statements, payment statements, and then presenting that information in the form of probably a profit and loss and a balance sheet. So then we'll talk about kind of financial accountant versus tax accountant. So I would say a financial accountant, so someone like myself who was on the financial accounting side at at PwC, that's really thinking through the the forward looking. So taking that bookkeeping information and doing things like budgeting and planning and looking ahead, maintaining the records, yes, but also using that information to look forward. As far as tax accountant goes, a tax accountant is a very specialized, very niche skill set that's very much focused just on the, in this case, the income tax side. So would have a, a great understanding of the state income tax laws and the federal income tax laws. And their skill set is being able to dig into the weeds of some very complex written codification and figure out where the, the loopholes and the nuances are. The nuances are not the loopholes. Let's that. <laughs> <laughs> good, good differentiation. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And then the other thing I've heard you say is check in with an accountant or a lawyer. What would be some like high level rules of thumb of when you would talk Mm -hmm. to a tax accountant versus when you would talk to a tax lawyer as again, a therapist in private practice? So I would say tax accountant, of course, all things, quarterly estimates, annual tax filings, a lot of tax accountants that you're going to work with also have a very nuanced understanding of business registration. So setting up a new LLC and then potentially becoming an S corporation, all the associated forms, as you mentioned, it's a lot of work, but specifically working with a a tax lawyer or somebody that has that specific legal knowledge, that's going to be as it relates to registering a new business under a new business type. So if you're making the transition from being a sole proprietor over to an LLC or to an S corporation, or you're setting up a, a partnership because your private practice is growing so much to build a group practice. That's when bringing in a lawyer that can really think through how to structure that business, why it's going to be advantageous in specific ways versus others in a specific state is going to be really helpful and important. But there is nuance and crossover there. But I would say, you know, start with that tax accountant and they'll likely be able to help you with the level of activity that you're looking to work through. But sometimes in some cases, it makes sense to go to a lawyer as well. Wonderful. So we got through so much. Thank you so much for (laughs) all of your wisdom for folks listening. Don't worry. It's a podcast. You can rewind and listen again. The show notes are very thorough for this episode. So if you're a more visual learner and you were listening to this on the fly, you know, head to the show notes page and these questions will kind of be bulleted out for you. So you can take a look at them at a glance. Andrew, any other kind of common, frequently asked questions from your clients that we didn't get to today or that you think would be helpful for the listeners to know? I think just a parting thoughts more than anything else. Like if nothing else, software, you know, get connected, get your bank accounts connected, run it out of a central location, whether that's Wave or QuickBooks or you use an accountant, file your quarterly taxes if you're a sole proprietor. And if you don't understand how to do it, talk to someone awesome like Lindsay, who's a a friend that's also a practitioner who's done it before, or talk to your network and see if you can find someone that can help you figure it out. 
don't put your books by the side because they feel, you know, kind of overwhelming or anxiety producing. It's scary at the start, but the impact that it's going to have on your business in the long run is is amazing. And it's going to make a huge difference, especially when it comes to filing taxes at, at year end. So staying on top of your books, working with a professional when need be. If you're afraid of the fees, just ask for the fees up front. <laughs> if you're worried about it costing yeah, too much. Yeah. Those are great parting thoughts. It's it's also soothing to hear, look, get some help, ask around. There is no shame because not only are none of us born knowing anything about money, but we certainly are not born knowing anything about the tax laws and codes. So make sure to have, you know, phone a friend once you've exhausted Google, ask other people for, for reputable sources that they use. And then, of course, find a professional if you're still feeling a little bit in over your head. Andrew, Mm -hmm. thank you so much for your time. This was super helpful. And I'm I'm sure that the listeners are going to get a lot from this conversation. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was a blast. And hopefully there wasn't too much financial jargon, but you pulled pulled me out of the weeds. So I I tried. (laughs) Awesome. Thanks so much. So the takeaways this time are a little bit different. Really what I want for you to do is to rewind back and re-listen to parts of our conversation if there were things that Andrew shared that were really helpful for you. Again, if you're like me and you're a little bit more of a visual learner, head to mindmoneybalance.com slash podcast and you can click on this episode. This is episode 51 and there will be the Q&A's typed out so you can easily scan through them, read them, bookmark that page if you have questions about what we covered. So yeah, definitely the takeaways today are to re-listen or head over to the link in the show notes and read through what we covered today because there was so much stuff that happened. Andrew also wanted me to remind you of a couple of important due dates If you are listening to this in real time, it is March 8th, 2021. If you are an S-Corp, your due date for taxes is March 15th. And if you're a sole proprietor, your due date is the same as for other individual filers in the U.S., which is April 15th. So those are two super important dates to keep in mind, the 15th of March if you're an S-Corp and the 15th of April if you are a sole proprietor. One last thing, if you are listening to this in real time, my book birthday is coming up this evening at 5 p.m. EST. I am throwing a book, Burke. I don't know what a Burke is, a book birthday party to celebrate my book, The Financial Anxiety Solutions. First birthday, I'm gonna cover what financial anxiety is, give y'all a little primer on how to cope with it. We'll shift gears and head into a little bit of trivia with prizes, and then there will be time for you to ask me your questions, whether you've got questions about financial anxiety, financial therapy, or just questions for me. It's going to be super fun. It's, of course, free, and I would love, love, love for you to be there. You can, again, head to the show notes from today's episode to RSVP for that birthday party, or if you're a fan of Instagram, head to my Instagram account at mindmoneybalance. Click on the link that's in my bio, and you will see a little button for you to tap on that says RSVP for the book birthday party. That's it for today. I'll see you guys next week. If you love this episode, take a screenshot and tag me on Instagram at mindmoneybalance with your favorite takeaway. I love seeing what resonates with my listeners and sharing it in my stories. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'll see you next week right here.
neither the host or guests are rendering legal, accounting, clinical, medical, or other professional information. If you want professional help, please seek it out.